All right. Good evening, everyone. Thanks for coming. Um, we're a couple minutes late here. I was having some technical difficulties with the recording, so hopefully this turns out okay. Uh, Nathan did tell me, though, they had some issues with week one. I guess the recording file is not playing nice with the SoundCloud podcasting or something happened and ended up corrupted. So they may or may not eventually have that one. However, week two last week is up on the podcast, SoundCloud, iTunes, the whole shebang. So if you wanted to go back and review that one, it is available. If you go to the church website, uh, piercepoint.org, there is a link there to the podcasts, and then it has a list of all of Pastor Nathan's old sermons, all the Sunday sermons, all that stuff. And this one should be added to the list now, so it should be one of the, the latest ones. All right, so just a quick little review, um, because tonight is going to build upon last week's. We talked an awful lot last week about learning to read in a slightly different way. We talked about rather than just looking at it or absorbing the story, we talked about actually observing and making notes and deciding. Uh, We made a list of questions and some things to look for. So tonight, we're going to build on that, and we're going to zero in on some some good key features, uh, some emphasis from the text that we can use to even narrow our focus a little bit more onto the, the, the more important stuff. Uh, and we're going to get to play around a little bit with some of the tools. So if you guys have Bible software you like, if you don't, I'm going to show you how to do at least some of it in Blue Letter Bible. Uh, and then I have old school books for anybody who wants to play around with those. So we're going we're gonna to dive in a little bit deeper this week. So with that in mind, last week I told you that we were going to spend some time in the first five chapters of Acts. Last time we focused just on the first couple of verses of Acts 1. We're going to jump around a little bit just to keep things interesting uh, for you guys. But hopefully all of you got a chance to read the first five chapters of Acts sometime through the week. Hopefully you got a chance to read it from a different translation or you got a, a chance to make some notes about some of the interesting phrases, terminologies, or differences that you saw. And so this is all about you guys and learning how to use the tools that we have. So what are some of the interesting or confusing or whatever? The, the five questions that we asked, who, what, where, when, why, and wherefore. So what did you guys know? It's going to be a super short class if nobody talks. So what do you guys think? Awesome. So that is, that'll be a great place to start with terminology. We can, we can look and see if there's a difference and why. Okay. 
So I'll write it on here too. Hopefully not knock it over, but Acts 1-4. Difference in translations. We have gift or promise. So we'll get a chance, hopefully, to do a little bit of sleuthing there. Okay, anything anything else strike you? Anything else interest you? Any other people that popped up that you said, man, who are these people? Okay. Yeah, so digging into later in the chapter, or later in the chapter of or, or chapter one, man. So we've got the Sabbath day journey. Uh, so from the tabernacle out to the farthest tent. So like you said, about about 3,000 feet or so. So it wasn't that far. And then you said the 120, uh, the quorum, okay, in order to draw lots and establish Matthias as the new disciple. Good. So you can already see it's bubbling up. There's some interesting things in here, some correlations. And we'll take a closer look at a lot of that stuff and build on it. But that's that's a really good place, a really good start. Anything else? Doesn't necessarily have to be from Chapter 1, too. Uh, Tonight we're going to look a little bit more closely at Chapter 2. So if you guys have saw anything in Chapter 2 that you'd like to talk about, or, or three or four or five. I mean, open free for all here. All right, so again, just as we are observing Scripture, trying to view it again as if for the first time, we are a bit like biblical detectives. We're sitting there with our magnifying glass surveying the room for clues, and some of the things that we're looking for are the W questions. So who, who is part of this story? Who's connected to the story? Who is mentioned by name? Uh, we have what, what's happening, what's going on, where, where in the world is this happening, where in the nation of Israel is this happening. We have the when, when is this in the biblical story, when is this in the relation to the story itself, what's happening before, what's happening after, uh, where does it fit into world history, things that happen in Jesus' lifetime have a different flavor of culture than things that happened in Abraham's lifetime. They are connected, but there is a large amount of cultural and historical differences between those two times. 
Then we have the why questions. How do these things connect? The cause and effect. What is making what happen? Why is this happening? Why is this happening? And then we have the, the wherefore, the so what question. This is what links everything back together and links the context back to the question. Why does it matter? <clears throat> the so what. If this happens, so what? So terms can be a good place to look. Context. Atmosphere. Cause-effects relationships. The places. We talked about reading in a bunch of different ways, reading different translations to get a different flavor because, again, we're reading a translation and then we're reading a translation that has been modified to meet the way that we speak in modern English. So if you were to go back and read the uh, 1400s, the English would sound different. So our modern way of speaking, NASB, NIV, uh, ESV, RSV, NLT, are all going to have a different flavor to the words than it would if you even went back and read the 1600 version of the King James Version. So different translations can a lot of times help to sift out interesting phrases like the one that you noted earlier. <clears throat> okay, we talked about reading imaginatively, rewriting passages in our own words. We talked about making synopsises. We talked about reading aloud to other people, just again, to get the sense of what's happening in the passage in a way that we may not have thought of before. Uh, and again, to really dig the most out of this, it's going to require not just a one-time read-through, it's going to take repetition, just like any exercise, it will take some repetition, and it's also going to take uh, meditating on it, not just reading it and then walking away, but also filling your mind with the scripture and thinking about it over time. And then a lot of what we're going to do today is going to focus on reading with a purpose. So we talked about making notes. We talked about asking questions. And again, we're going to dig through some of this. But then also, uh, we brushed over this last week, but we're going to talk a little bit more about it today. And that's reading with purpose and identifying uh, the grammar. What's actually important about the way that they're saying things. Um, persons, whether it's first person I'm talking about myself. Second person, I'm talking to you. Second person, plural, I'm talking to all of you uh, or y'all. Uh, third person, whether I'm talking about a specific other person. Uh, and then other tenses as well, uh, especially when you dig into verbs, whether the action is happening now, whether it happened in the past, whether it happened now but it's continuing to happen, whether it will happen in the future. These are all grammatical things that we can dig out that may have significant meaning as well. So we've got just the grammar of the verbs, the grammar of the subjects, the way that things are talked about, the adverbs, the adjectives. So the big dog versus the humongous dog, the poisonous snake versus the deadly snake, okay, those kind of things. They're similar sounding, but again, the amount is changed. So things like that. Um, as well as we're gonna look a little bit more at the structure of the book itself, whether it's biographical, whether it's geographical, whether it's historical, whether it's chronological, whether it's built in an ideological or from uh, one point in building an argument. And then we're going to try to start building the context as a whole. So this is a big project, and I promise you we're not going to do it all tonight because I have it on good authority that you can get your doctorate in Acts Studies and Luke Doctorate. So 
We're not going to do all of that tonight, but hopefully we're going to, again, give you the window to look through that we can start building and making the world a bigger, more colorful place, okay? So first things first, like I said, I promised I would teach you to use at least a little bit of the tools. So the first question that we had come up is a difference primarily in translation, but it's, it zeroes into a term. So Acts 1-4, we have, I'll read the NASB version. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which, he said, you heard from me. So when you read uh, what other version... Bob, did you have, had a, it was just the KGV, right? The King James? Yeah. So Acts 1-4 and the King James, and being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, you have heard of me. And then we have, just for fun, uh, ESV also uses that word promise. Promise. So, anybody that doesn't have it, uh, two resources really quick to kind of filter through this. Uh, BibleGateway.com, it's a website, and you can pull up pretty much any English version of the Bible uh, back from like the Gutenberg version all the way to the NSB 2020 version. Uh, and everything in between, so a good place to start with the, the different versions. Again, I mentioned it before, the, the Blue Letter Bible application. Uh, it's available for Android and for iPhone. And it has some pretty cool tools. If I can spell. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it totally is. Um, so again, this is where I, hopefully I'm going to give you a little bit to, to play with in order to understand what's going on. So <clears throat> as far as translations goes, again, we're going to kind of look at this word promise and what it means. And I have not done this particular one beforehand, so this is going to be a bit of a uh, an open-ended. We can go as deep with it as we want. So if you have the Blue Letter Bible or something similar, um, with the Blue Letter Bible, all you have to do is tap on the verse, and it gives you a bunch of options, a ton of stuff that you can do. In this case, if we were going to zero into that particular word, the very first thing on the top of the list and the study section, after you've clicked on the, that verse, will be the interlinear and the concordance. So if you remember from before, we talked about what the concordance is. It is a compiling of all the different words in Scripture, puts them together based upon their origin and what word they came from in the original language. So that's going to give you an idea of how that word was translated. So if you click on interlinear, you're going to get some stuff. Uh, in this case, because this is an Acts, you're going to get a bunch of Greek words, and depending upon which way you have it set up, it might be Greek to English or English to Greek. It doesn't really matter yet. Yep. Yep, that's right. So if you tap on it, 
it's going to bring you up your study. And then interlinear and concordance will bring up the tools. Uh, it'll say interlinear. Yeah, yeah, it's the same thing. Yep. So in this case, what you are looking for is the word that correlates to the word promise or gift, depending upon which version you're translating from. So in this case, uh, I'm not even going to try to pronounce the Greek because I'll butcher it. But about three-quarters of the way down, it should have the English translation for what had promised. Uh, and then it has the Greek, the Englishized Greek, Epangelia. And then it'll have a letter with a number. That letter with a number, in this case, it'll say G1860. So I know... It gets a lot easier the more you play with it. But what it's telling you is it's actually correlating this to the Strong's Concordance for you. So if you were to pick up the book, which I'll show you the book too for anybody who wants paper. Uh, this is a Greek word. It is the 1,860th word in the compiling in that concordance. And so if you wanted to correlate it to the book, which I have here, We could find it in this book and then find the meaning in the back. Or in the app, you should just be able to tap on the word and it'll give you an entire definition. So if you click on the Epangelia G18600, it's going to give you all the stuff about it, give you biblical usage. It'll give you the times that it was translated in the King James Version. Now, the original Strong's was, trans, was compiled from the King James Version. So that's where you'll find most of your information. And then it's going to give you the Strong's definition. And if you have multiple lexicons or multiple Bible concordances available, they've got Thayer's in here as well. It's going to give you a bunch of different translations or a bunch of different definitions based upon the translation. <clears throat> so in this case, uh, everybody tracking? Yeah, so you've got, uh, you have a slightly different one. So this is... It's just giving you the correlation to the amount of words. It's not really important to you at the moment, but basically it's giving you, this is the Greek word that it's translated from. This is the pronunciation. It tells you the part of speech, so if you're into the grammar, it's telling you it's a noun with, uh, like if you were to speak Spanish, and it has the, uh, the prefix la, so the feminine version of the noun. Not that it particularly matters to us in this case, but the big things are going to be down here at the bottom where it has the Strong's definition and then the Thayer's Greek lexicon. Those are going to give you the definition as best as it can in English of that Greek word. So again, this, this, is, this is like uh, what we've got right now is the edge of a tool that's like as long as this room. It's amazing, right? They made it so much easier than digging through the book. 
<laughs> yes, yes. That's what I did when I was in school too. So this is, this is an amazing tool. So with that, again, if everybody's more or less tracking with me, we can see that in Acts 1-4, <clears throat> what they were going for here is this announcement for information, an assent or a pledge, especially a divine assurance of good, usually translated message or promise. And then if you wanted to dig into it more, uh, a lexicon is like the dork's version of a dictionary. So not only is it going to give you the definition, it's going to give you a lot more of the root of the word, the prefixes and suffixes that are attached to it in order to make it exactly that meaning. Uh, and a lot of times it will also give you the etymology or the, the history of the word as, as it evolved. So it, again, it's pretty cool. The, the best thing about this, though, is it also is going to give you all of, if you scroll a little further down, a lot of the cross-references to where that word is used in more places in the Bible. So not only are you going to get a definition, but you're also going to see the, the other places in the Bible where it has been used. So you can start comparing them and whether or not it is the same or slightly different or uh, basically the same way that if I describe a dog to you, you might picture a Doberman or you might picture a Chihuahua or you might picture a St. Bernard. They're all dogs, right? But if I say to you it is a Collie, Shepherd, Golden Retriever mix, you'll have a picture, at least in your mind, of what it looks like. So this is building the more exactness of the language. So that, that's the first, first tool in your toolbox when we talk about deciding terminology. If you run up against one of those words that is different between translations, that is uh, something you haven't read before, something that's not quite as understandable, this is a fantastic tool, a good place to start and say, what does this mean? Yes. Exactly. Yeah. So that's uh, I didn't mention it as as emphasized. Again, we will talk about it more as we talk more through how to get the most out of these tools. But yes, especially in the the best thing is that when you get to interpreting um, and when we get to looking and comparing here is comparing the Bible to itself. If you're comparing the Bible to itself, you're getting a view of the Bible interpreting the Bible, which is a good place to be. Once you start adding in other people's thoughts, then I'm not saying it's bad, because it's definitely not. There's a lot of smart people that are way smarter than me, and there are a lot of people who have written exhaustive commentaries on the Bible who have incredibly... Uh, it's been described that we stand on the shoulders of giants. And in this case, this is absolutely true. There's been a lot of work built for us so that we don't have to do all the groundwork ourselves. Sometimes, though, it's good to see the foundation and know the foundation is solid. So the best place to start is to compare the Bible to itself, see the usage of the word in other parts of the Bible. And as Dwayne mentioned, especially in comparison to how the same author uses that word. I've already noticed tonight that I've said the word correlated a whole bunch 
So you can start to, to build this idea of how I would use that word. The same thing here, if you find the same word promise in other parts of Luke's writing, you'll have a much better idea of what he means when he says that word. Absolutely. There you go. Perfect. Perfect. So again, these are this is this is base level stuff. Again, we are biblical sleuths and we are putting together these pieces. So this is the first piece is identifying these places in the Bible where it's something different or something that we didn't understand or a difference between translations. We're seeing the places where the English may not completely line up with the pointed meaning of the original language. So this gives us a, a better idea, a better flavor of what the original author intended when he wrote it. <clears throat> so how do you know that? So in your... I'll give you the, the quick and brief version of what that means. So when Strong's went through and they compiled this volume and made a note of every single word in the King James Version of the Bible and then noted all the other places in the Bible where it was used, they assigned all of them a number based upon their original language. So G would mean that this comes from a Greek word. And then... <clears throat> 1860 is just the number tag that they've put to that word. So anytime you see the same G1860, it's the same word in the original language. Yeah, and in in the Blue Letter Bible, it is uh, about, I don't know, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Six lines down where it gives the, the King James Version translation count. <clears throat> to get to that number? So, so if you just tap on, again, just to kind of go through, I know my phone's really small, so uh, whatever you pull up. So this is just the Bible. So this is just the, the Bible is open. And I have it set up so it's got parallel Greek with, with the English version, but it doesn't matter. Whatever you have, um, the verse that you want to look at, tap on it, yep, and it's going to bring up the study materials here. And there are more. Uh, this was just the first one. So the very first thing under study is interlinear concordance. So, yep. Yes. Yes, so what it's saying is that there are other words that are also sometimes translated this way. There are other words in Greek that have been translated as promise or message. So those will, those will also be noted. <clears throat> so when you go through, after you've clicked on the interlinear uh, or the concordance there, it's going to come up with the interlinear. Interlinear just means that it puts the English version and the Greek version side by side. And as best as it is able in a short form, it lines up the words in English with the word or phrase in Greek. So sometimes it's a little bit out of order. Um, but it's again, it's trying to give you the one-to-one -one as close to the translation as you can. <clears throat> so if you scroll down through that list and you find the word or words that you're trying to to work with. So in this case, the English phrase is for what had promised, 
and then it has the Greek word. You can find that number the first time right here, that G1860. Yep, and then if you click on it, like if you tap on it, then it's going to bring up the actual word itself, the definition, um, the lexicon, all that stuff. And then there are some blue hyperlinks as well. So if, if you're in here, you find the word that you want to look at. So again, this is our G160. The even better part is you can look and see here all the places that it's translated. So you've got the G1860 right here. So underneath the translation notes here, you've got it's translated 53 times. The KGV translation strongs G1860 in the following manner is promise, promise 52 of those times. And then one of those times, it's message. If you want to see all 52 of those times, you can click on that blue hyperlink. Okay. So if you click on the promise here, it's going to come up with a list of every single verse where that word is used. Okay. So then this is, that's the concordance part of it. So it's actually giving you and comparing all of them. Well, the good thing is it'll be, uh, it'll be noted, and I'm more than happy to write a shorthand version for whoever needs the notes to. Cool? Yep. Now, this, this is by means not the only Bible software out there. It's just free, so it's, uh, it's super nice. There are other, if you have a PC or a Mac, uh, the eSword you can just search it, Rick Myers eSword. Uh, it does a very similar thing, just in a slightly different format. So if you're more comfortable using a computer uh, rather than a phone or a tablet, that's another great resource. It does take a little bit of learning because they do things slightly differently. But the, you, can, you can gather the same amount of material and the same idea, the, the same information really quickly. Technology is amazing. It can be difficult to use sometimes, but it's a lot better than having an entire library full of reference materials. <clears throat> awesome. So that a great, great segue into the whole process of studying. Now, this is also where it gets fun because, again, Bible translating and the Bible comparing and the Bible interpreting itself, you can use the same tool to look up other phrases. For example, um, when they talked about the Sabbath day's journey, uh, I've never looked it up in the Blue Letter Bible, so I'm not sure exactly what you would get, but same thing. You could go into that phrase, into your interlinearity, click on it, and then it'll bring up again where that word came from and the, the general definition, and then the lexicon will give you a whole lot more of the historical and etymology of that word as well. So, again, super, super great tool. And at this point, you haven't even tried to interpret what it's saying. We're just digesting what the words mean. Yes, yes. So 
this is, uh, I don't know if you remember, but when we talked through the very first time when we talked about resources, there's a reason that I mentioned concordances at the top of the list and commentaries down at the bottom of the list, kind of right before works of theology, and it's for exactly that, that reason. Uh, right now, what we're trying to do is we're building up the way to read the Bible, so we are talking primarily about, again, uh, we haven't even gotten into interpreting, and we're on week three already. So we're just talking about how to read the Bible, so this is strategies for reading the Bible, because, as you noted, once you get into the commentaries, which a study Bible is super nice, but it is basically a commentary, you're getting somebody's ideas about it. It's not bad, and again, a lot of them have very good things to say, but you are getting somebody's, somebody's opinion, which again, is not bad, but it's usually a good idea to have the foundation of what's being talked about before you start comparing opinions. So, again, with, with that in mind, uh, Blue Letter Bible does a whole lot, and there's more resources underneath that study. When you click on a verse, that study, I, I would in, encourage you to investigate them all. But that interlinear concordance is going to be, like, your, your top one, number one tool that you'll use quite a bit. It combines a little bit the, the Bible dictionary as well. It doesn't specifically link to vines, um, but it, you'll get most of the same information uh, Thayer's is already built into it, so you're getting all of the Thayer's, which is the, the Bible dictionary that we talked about before, which again is a misnomer. It's more like an encyclopedia. So you're getting concordance, dictionary, quick definition. Thayer's is like the encyclopedia entry a little bit more about that particular subject. Yep. Aren't we having fun? Learning so much already, right? <clears throat> all right. So... That's what I want you guys to keep doing, and we're going to keep digging, so keep bringing up those who, what, where, when, why, how questions. Keep looking through those ideas, and in the coming weeks, you don't have to do it for every single word and every single verse because that would take you a very, very long time, but start to note those things. Make a note next to things that you think are worth researching. And again, the best thing about this is the more you do it, the more you'll know for next time. So next time you run across this word, you're already going to have this, this magazine in your head where you can say, okay, well, I know that this word has been used a lot by Luke before. I know it's been used a bunch in the New Testament, and I know more or less what promise means. And if I want a refresher, the tools are, are available. So slipping gears, we're going to now talk how to go from this. We have taken a bunch of notes now. We've made some, some progress. We've done some sleuthing, and now we have a whole evidence room full of tidbits and details. How do we start to put that back together? So we've taken it. We've spread our evidence locker all the way across the floor. We have all this stuff, and now we need to start building our spider chart to know who, what, where, when, why, and how it all puts back together. So today... This week, we're going to talk specifically about what to look for. So I kind of gave you it and just let you run with it this week. This time, we're going to start to zero in a little bit on what might be more important, what might be a little bit more worth your time. If you look up all the versions of the in the Bible, for example, you might get some good stuff, but you're going to get a whole lot of definitive articles that mean the. So, we're zeroing in on the stuff that, that should, should 
pique your interest. So with that in mind, last time we talked a little bit of verse or chapter 1 of Acts. So tonight, we're going to use as our text, our, our proof text here, uh, Acts 2. And specifically, we're going to zero in on the last couple verses of Acts. But I'm going to read a little bit more just so that we have some background. <clears throat> so we're going to primarily zero into Acts 2:42 to the end. Uh, so 42 through 47. But I'm going to back up and read all of Peter's sermon beginning in 2.14, just to give you some of the background information as well. Again, because the idea is that we want to build this context. We want to ask the questions. We want to identify the important parts. So, this is the NASB version. And again, anybody who happens to have another version, uh, if I read something that's a little bit different, make a note or something, and we can either talk about it tonight or you can go and investigate it on your own over the week with the tools that we've got. I have the NASB, the 1995 version. That's what I'm going to read from. Okay. Acts 2, verse 14. But Peter, taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, Men of Judea and all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. For these men are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth of my spirit on all mankind, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will grant wonders in the sky above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. And the sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, if you wanted to zero in on some words that will lead you down a really long rabbit hole, Predetermined and foreknowledge are good ones. This man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. For David says of him, I saw the Lord always in my presence, for he is at my right hand, so that I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue exalted. Moreover, my flesh also will live in hope, because you will not abandon my soul to Hades, nor allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brethren, I may confidently say to you, regarding the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. And so, because he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants on his throne, he looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was neither abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh suffer decay. This Jesus God raised up again, to which we are all witnesses. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear. For it was not David who ascended into heaven, but he himself said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand, until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. 
Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So there's Peter's sermon. And again, if you're looking for a bunch of places to start looking, the who's of the story, the what's of the stories, all those verses that are referenced in the Old Testament will be good places to go back, find out where those verses come from, and look at what Peter is trying to tell, as well as understanding who his audience is. So from a historical standpoint, asking who is going to be in Jerusalem at this time, who is Peter talking to? Because now we're going to launch into the outcome. So this is the background. This is what just happened. Peter stands up and gives this proclamation right after the disciples receive the Holy Spirit up in the upper room on the day of Pentecost. And now we're going to see the reaction. So you kind of have, we talked about cause and effect. Think about that's the process that's happening here. We have the cause and now we're going to see the effect of what happened. Now, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And with many other words he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. So then, those who had received his word were baptized, and that day they were added about 3,000 souls. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. So again, this is our focus. This is where we're going to zero in, and there's a method to this. Um, 42 through 47 is, again, where we're going to spend our time tonight when we talk about things. But it's important to build in those those context, especially before when we talked about the cause and effect, remembering that these are the events that led up to this happening. So as we were reading, I noted a couple of things that we want to do, or a couple of places that might be worth investigating, but just to kind of give you an idea of the process. If I were to, to read a passage of Scripture, this is what I would start thinking through if I were going to try to develop it with the idea of presenting it to a small group as a leader, or if I was trying to answer somebody's question. Somebody came to me and said, I don't understand this verse. Can you help me understand it? This is what I would do. This is the, the process that I would go through. Or um, if I was sitting along with a group that was reading through a book in the Bible or something, this would be my process. This is what I'd sit down uh, over the course of a couple of days, an hour or two, to build my, my thought process. So what we want to do is we want to build the picture. And the way we're going to build the picture uh, in English is to try and zero down to the, the smallest full ideas. So in English literature, and there are a few cautions here, uh, the original languages didn't always use punctuation, spaces, 
paragraph structures the way that we do today. So this is not a hard and fast rule, but kind of a guideline. Uh, in English, we separate things into paragraphs as kind of the, the smallest full idea. So what I would want to do is take that uh, paragraph. And most modern Bibles have it pretty nicely for you. They will subdivide sections with headings. Um, or you can just go and look for the, the paragraph indents and start with that small section. So again, 42 through 47 is the paragraph that we are going to work through. In order to do this, we're going to try and get an overview uh, of what's going on. The way that we do that is we're going to read the entire section to make sure that we don't lose track of the big picture. We don't lose the forest for the trees. Uh, we're going to note any differences between paragraphs. So again, I've already helped you do this a little bit with this, this passage. We have uh, Pentecost that happens. Then we have the next section is Peter's sermon. And then you can even break Peter's sermon down into multiple subsections if you wanted. But in our case, again, we're just trying to leave it as one big full idea. So we have Pentecost that happens. We have Peter's sermon that happens, and then we have the reaction of the people. So again, we're focusing kind of in on that reaction of the people. Then we're going to look for stuff. Once we look for stuff, and I'm going to give you a whole list of stuff that we're going to look for, uh, we can start evaluating, we can start summarizing, we can start making those observations that I gave you last time, the who, what, where, when, why, and wherefore. And then we can start to also study, if we're interested, the, the people that are listed, the places that are listed, the history that's listed uh, using, again, Blue Letter Bible is a fantastic place to start, and there's a million more resources out there that I'd be more than happy to share with you all. So, what do we look for? First things that we're going to look for are things that are emphasized. Things that are emphasized can be best described as uh, the more space or the amount of time that the author uses, there's a good chance that that is an important subject. So the fact that Peter, for example, in the previous chapter, quotes the Old Testament multiple times and then uses pretty much all of them to make a similar point would give us the idea that there's something important that's being said here. He's willing to go back and make the same argument in a slightly different way three times. That's important especially when we look at the reaction of the people afterward. <clears throat> so the amount of time or space that's devoted to a subject, things that are emphasized. Uh, a lot of times the author will even state his purpose, which again, uh, we're looking at the effect of all of this, but Peter pretty much states his purpose right there at the very beginning. Peter, taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, men of Judea, and all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. He is giving them a proclamation. He wants them to listen and understand what he's saying. So his message is being, again, emphasized not only three different times, uh, but right at the very beginning, he's saying, listen to this. This is what I've got to say to you. Another thing that's important is the order, the order of things that happen. Now, again, those emphasis come from Peter's sermon, if I was focused entirely on the reaction of the people, this would all be pretext or context to what I was looking at. And then I would be wanting to say, okay, where does that come? What is the order of events? Things that are built to, think about building a tower. The top of the tower is the most prominent, 
but everything underneath it, all the building blocks that build up to making that tippy top of the tower are still important and they all drive towards the peak. Same thing, uh, even though a spear has a point and that's the sharpest instrument, there's an awful lot of shaft behind the spear that's giving it all its force. So when we're looking for things that are emphasized, that spear point is the most important part, but we're not going to want to miss all the rest of it as well. So that we're, we're building context. So thinking about order, looking for the building blocks, the things that are building the argument. And then not necessarily in this story, but something else to think about is movement. And what I mean by movement is every story has an arc. Uh, we start with the background information. We build usually with rising action to a climatic event, and then we have a resolution to the end of the story. The Bible is not just one big story. There's a lot of smaller stories as well. So again, when we're working with these small chunks, we also want to think is when we're working through what's emphasized, we want to think that same way. So if I was to chart the rising action here, in this chunk, I would see Peter's sermon as the beginning. Again, the Pentecost is really the beginning, the beginning. But then Peter's sermon starts this rising action. He has uh, opened up his two canisters of ammunition, and he is letting them have it. And then we hit the peak where he finishes his sermon a bunch of people get saved, and then we have the resolution. So if I was looking for emphasis here, I'd say if we're looking at what's happening here with the people, this is on the resolution side of the story. Okay? Does everybody track with that more or less? So we have all these events that are leading up to the people getting saved, and then we have the resolution is what's happening after the people get saved. Again, this is just... Uh, a small chunk of a much bigger story. So the bigger your story, the more the arc is going to arc, the, the longer you're going to have to trace forward and back to get the full story. But when I'm looking, again, for things that are emphasized in the passage, I'm looking for the amount of space, the amount of time devoted to a subject, the amount of times that the argument is made. Uh, I'm looking if the, the author gave a stated purpose. I'm looking for the order, the cause-effect the relating of events, and the movement where it is in the story. Is it in the, the pretext? Is it in the background? Is it part of the rising action? Is it the very peak of the story? Is it in the resolution? That way I have a good idea of what outside information I need to build to find about my little chunk. Okay, so this is all about building the, the big picture. In addition to things that are emphasized, we want to look for things that are repeated. I already kind of gave you uh, a precursor on this one. We want to look for things that are said over and over again. Often they are said similarly, similarly, uh, but with a slightly different language or a little bit different uh, in this case. Again, we've seen Peter make an argument, and he makes it multiple times with multiple references. This would be an example of something that's repeated. Uh, so repeated phrases, re repeated events, repeated terms. Uh, a good example, anybody familiar with Psalm 136? Psalm 136 is his love endures forever. There's a phrase and then his love endures forever. Another phrase and then his love endures forever. What do you think is the important emphasis in that passage? His love endures forever, yes. So those are the types of things that we are looking for 
when we're looking for things that repeat. Uh, another good one, which many of you may not have thought of before, is that in Leviticus, there's a bunch of laws, and it can be a little dull and a little bit difficult to understand when our culture is very different. But one of the key emphasis of things that are repeated is after every set of laws, the phrase, I am the Lord, repeats. So again, looking for things that are important, looking for things that are repeated, that would be a phrase that I would want to zero in. What does he mean? All these group of things that we should do or not do, and it ends with, I am the Lord. So those are good things to think about uh, when we're talking about repeated events. Uh, Additionally, repeated characters, repeated patterns, repeated quotations from the Old Testament. Again, you're getting a double on this one. So not only is Peter making a three-time argument, he's also using Old Testament scripture multiple times. So again, we're, we're definitely building this, this argument <clears throat> from things that are repeated. And additionally, if you want to pull back a little bit and look more at the background, we also have uh, circumstances and events as well as patterns of behavior. This is a great one, especially when we start trying to compare the Old Testament to the New Testament. Uh, how similar are things that are happening now to what happened then? Uh, how identical are people's reactions to things that happened then to things that happen now? It's a, a good study on human behavior is how much, although our cultures might change, our reactions don't change all that much. So, again, things that are emphasized, things that are repeated, and then as we build this study, we're going to look for things that are related. So related meaning, uh, this is back to that first little tidbit that I gave you, the cause and effect, general to specific, or a principle to an illustration, questions and answers. So think of the way that Romans is built, for example, where there's a question and then an answer. Uh, there's a lot of rhetorical questions as well where Paul uses a question to start his argument and then gives the answer and then use that answer to make a new question and then answers that question and kind of builds question and answer format. So we've got these relate, related subjects put together by question and answers. Uh, another one, uh, Job, when Job is arguing with his friends in the book of Job about whether or not he's righteous, there's a bunch of questioning that happens. So the question from his friends, the answers, and then at the end of the book when God shows up and says to Job, who are you? Again, question and answer. We got this relationship that we're building. So again, if I was looking for things that I wanted to zero in on this passage, things that are emphasized, things that are repeated, and then things that are related, especially looking for that cause and effect. Why did this happen? And then a really fun one, especially as you get into poetic or prophetic literature, uh, is things that are alike or unalike. The Bible uses a lot of similes. Similes are things that are compared with the words like or as. It also uses a lot of metaphors where it is comparing things just without those words. So, for example, if I say you shine like the sun, I'm using a simile. Obviously, you are not as bright as the sun, but I would say you're just as bright as it intellectually. So, you shine like the sun. A good simile there. Uh, a metaphor would be I am a rocket. I'm obviously not a rocket but maybe I'm as fast as one or I am as lofty as one or I explode. I don't know. Idea there being that we're comparing something that obviously isn't true, but we're using a word picture. 
So things to look for are those similes, those metaphors in Scripture, uh, as well as connectors. And what I mean by connectors are things like but, therefore, however, although, as, the, the words that connect one argument to another argument by emphasizing their similarities or em- emphasizing their differences. And that can be both with character events, that can be with arguments, uh, that can be even with people. The Bible is also full of irony. So we have both satirical irony, satire, uh, which would be the normal, I'm feeling great today, right? Or uh, things couldn't possibly get any better. Uh, Things like that. We also have irony in the dramatic or literary form where we as the audience know something that the audience of the Bible doesn't know yet. Uh, For example, at the beginning of our book of Acts, we have a little sliver of literary irony. Uh, It is not classical, but it'll give you the same flavor. Luke tells you what he's going to do with the entire book. And then he proceeds to do it. So we know a little bit of what's going to happen before it happens. that actually happens. Classic irony is when we know something as the audience, usually something bad that the audience inside or the, uh, the people inside the story don't know yet. But there are, there are pieces of that throughout the Bible as well. So look for those ironic things that are happening. And then finally, the one that we all like to, to build on uh, are the things that are true. Look for those, those slivers of truth, those things that relate to my experience. Uh, what does the passage say about the reality of things, especially when it comes to uh, human nature, when it comes to how people operate, uh, the things that we all do, our mindsets, things like that. And then really good pictures to pick up from that section. So things that are true to life, the pictures that you can pick up are... Uh, Heroes with flaws. So you, again, you want an exercise in, in interesting reading. If you go through all of the Bible stories that you had as a child uh, about Moses, about Abraham, about Jacob, about David, about Solomon, about uh, whomever you want to choose, and look at all of the flaws that those heroes had, how God used them anyway. Again, a, a great study. But when I'm looking for those things that, again, I'm looking for those things to zero in on, uh, flawed heroes, villains that are relatable. When I can see myself in the villain of the story, again, that's a good idea uh, of uh, something being important to the biblical author. Additionally, we are looking for the development of good character and the corruption of good character, kind of the, the building hero or the declining villain. <clears throat> so these are all questions, and again, I'll disperse my notes to you so you guys have all of my uh, all of my broken down pieces of things to look for as well. But using this framework, okay, as well as the questions that we talked about last time, we're going to really look at what the Bible is saying to us. So again, this. This is where I would start if I was building a message, if I was 
trying to come up with something to talk about in a small group, this is where I would start. And I don't necessarily have to answer every single question because it would take months. But what I can do is find those little, little bits that I can now build into something bigger. The truth is the truth inside the scripture. And we're going to talk about interpreting and application over the next couple weeks. But at least when I'm building my story, these are the things, the background information that I may not, I may not have. The person sitting next to me probably hasn't ever seen it this way before either. And when I start to bring this stuff out, or you start to bring this stuff out, then you'll start to see a bigger picture, and hopefully the entire body will be edified. So this is where the rubber meets the road. So we all have an idea of some of these questions, things to look for. We talked about last time some of those strategies to use while we're reading. So now, again, we're going to zero in to Acts 2.42 through Acts 2.47 just to change it up a little bit. I'll read it one more time from the ESV version, the English Standard Version, and then we'll answer some of these questions. We'll go through audience participation, and we are going to try to answer some of those things to look for. So once again, Acts 2, 42 through the end. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So five short verses. So we'll be here as long as you guys want. But we're going to start working through this list of things to look for, as well as some of those strategies from last time. So let's start, and we don't have to go super deep into it, but again, just to identify the main players here, uh, let's work through the W questions. So from the very beginning here, we have... Who, what, where, when, and why, and then we'll deal with the so what as well. So first and foremost, who, if I was reading just this passage, who is in this passage? We have the believers. So we have a group of people that are identified as believers. Okay, And in this case, it's not quite that simple. Because nowhere in this chunk of scripture does it say that word believers. How does it actually reference them? Yep, so we have the saved, right? So again, if I was looking for things to zero in on, what were they saved from? What were they saved to, right? But they are identified as the saved, which, again that conjures up something in our, our Christian way of thinking. But Luke here is talking to Theophilus. What is he trying to tell Theophilus when he uses the words, those who were saved or those who were being saved? What is he saying? So that's, again, a, a good place to start. It also uses all who believed. 
So it doesn't use the word believer, but it uses all who believed, which is a very similar, okay? So we have those. We have those people. And that is pretty much the entire audience except for uh, it also identifies the apostles. So those are our two major players in this section, right? We have the apostles and we have those who believed or those who were being saved. So that is, that is uh, again, a small section. And I could go as deep into either one of those as I wanted to. So if I wanted to know what, it, what does it mean to be saved? What does it mean to be one of the believer? What does it mean to be one of the apostles? This is where I could start digging, start with a blue letter Bible, find that word, find the definition, and then run with it as far as you want to go. Okay, so that's the first question. The second question is what? What's happening? There are miracles happening. So again, if something I wanted to run with, I could look to see what were the miracles that were happening. Is there somewhere else in the first couple chapters of Acts where I learn what these miracles are? So we have miracles happening. What else, what else is happening? We have unity. All who believed were together and had all things in common. So again, places to start your, your search. What does it mean to be together? What does it mean to have all things in common? Because all things in common would seem very inclusive. Hey, anything else happening? What else is happening in this passage? They're selling their stuff. They're selling their stuff with a purpose, right? They're not just selling their stuff, but they're selling their stuff to take care of everyone else. Uh, some other things in here, they are breaking bread, they're receiving food, they are praising God, they have favor with all the people, and there are many more being added. So there's a bunch of things, individual what's, that are happening. Now, again, talking, this is jumping the gun just a little bit, but to prime the pump, as it were, are those things related is there some way, if I was thinking for things to look for, my strategy for reading is to go through and find, answer all these questions. Next, I would say, is there a reason that these things are related? Or are they related? They seem to be emphasizing something. What's being emphasized here? Okay. All right, is there any instances about where this is happening? So we've answered who, we've talked about what, what about where? Is there any significance into where things are happening? So in this case, we know where Peter gave his original message. This section doesn't necessarily say that they were in the temple courts, but by building from the context, we could pretty definitively claim that this is still happening mostly in Jerusalem. Okay. And in their homes. So we, yeah, so we have two things that are happening. Yep, we have, we have the temple, we have the temple courts, uh, and then we have in the homes. 
So this is, again, if I was looking for things that were emphasized, this is a repeat of things that are happening in the temple and things that are happening house to house. The same activities are happening both places. That seems, again, if I was looking at things that are repeated or related, these were things that I would start looking for. Okay, when? When did this happen? Post-Pentecost, yep. So after the reception of the Holy Spirit, these things started happening. So again, looking for cause and effect, something happened, and then this is all the dominoes that started falling. Additionally, if I wanted to to zoom out more, uh, this is after Jesus' death, after Jesus' ascension, after Jesus gives them the mandate to stay in Jerusalem and wait, because this is going to start happening. Uh, It's also after Jesus gives them the mandate to go into all the world. Uh, This is before the gospel started spreading to other parts of the world. So we're still pretty centralized in Jerusalem here. This is before it starts to spread, before Paul starts his missionary journeys. Okay, This is long before the Holy Roman Empire, quote-unquote, and the expansion into the Germanic tribes in Britannia. This is long before the Puritans and the expansion into the New World. Okay, so we're in a very small slice of history here, and it can be as broad as you want or as little as you want, depending upon how big your picture of history is. All right, why? This is, this is where it'll start to get more deep. Why? Why is this happening? So specifically, um, why have the people's actions changed? So again, if I was looking for cause and effect, I've identified the cause, I've identified the effect. So the piece that I'm missing is right there in the middle. Why did these people's behavior change? Peter's sermon. So Peter said something that affected these people, affected a lot of these people all at once. Not only was there a lot of people affected at once, but it was not a one event and done. Like like I said, this was the first of the dominoes to fall, and it ends with those who were being saved and they were being added. Right? So then the last question, and there's more. There are more whys in there, um, but that's the big one. So then the last question is, so what? Of what importance is this? Yeah, so there is, there is uh, again, if we look at the, we go back to the, the main purpose here of Luke, so we're going to zoom out a little bit, and we've got Luke writing this epic masterpiece to Theophilus about all the acts of the apostles. This is the beginning of the story he wants to tell, right? So What? Yeah, so we could, we could absolutely argue that this is the beginning. Uh, so Jesus' ministry was obviously the gospel. 
but now it has begun to expand. It's not just Jesus' message anymore. It's being continued by all of his disciples. Not only is it being continued by all his disciples, but there are very dramatic lifestyle changes that are happening. <clears throat> it's not just a, uh, an intellectual ascension to the truth. There is a consequence that happens physically, right? There's, there's dramatic changes that are happening. So the so what is pretty significant in this case, right? We have the beginning of something brand new. Uh, I said the first time, the, the first time we met, uh, the tipping over point in the New Testament is right around here in Acts, by, by my estimation at least, because we've gone from all of the Old Testament introducing Jesus, Jesus arrives, and then he leaves, and now we have the so what. What's going to happen next? <clears throat> okay. Good. Yeah, go ahead. It's not. And and I don't want I don't want to uh we're trying to eat the elephant one bite at a time. So specifically we're we're really just identifying those places to start the the research. So there are a lot of applications in interpretations that'll come from this that we will absolutely talk absolutely talk about over the next two weeks. So you're not wrong. There is there is a lot to be gleaned from this. But as far as just reading the story goes. I'm just trying to make a brief overall umbrella term like okay. beginning of Christian teaching, beginning of Yeah, I mean realistically you could you could start it with that. Yep. No, that's good. That's good. I mean, he he gave his sermon. He hasn't. Uh, he has not gone the way of Paul yet and written letters back to churches or anything. Again, this is this is the the very beginning. The the very beginning. This is the first group of converts that were not disciples of Jesus first if that makes sense. So this is um, later on, or when, when Jesus spoke about blessed are those who believe without seeing, this is the first group of believers who may have seen Jesus, but up to this point have not followed him. Right? So this, this is a brand new group of people. <clears throat> All right, so... There's kind of our, our who, what, where, when, why, wherefore questions. Now, again, if I was going to, to really telescope in here, break out my microscope, and try and find the stuff that I would want to bring out, the things that I would want to discuss, the things that I would really want to explore, this is where we'd start with the stuff that we talked about today, the, the specific things to look for. We have kind of a catalog of these events that are occurring. Now we're looking specifically at these these points uh, that warrant further investigation. So we've identified all the clues. Now we're going to start relating the clues back to each other. So, again, just Acts 2.42 through 2.47, 
what things are emphasized. What's being emphasized in this passage? Equality, unity. Mm-hmm. So there definitely seems to be a unity theme. All the people being united. What about uh, how they were reunited? So things that are emphasized, the amount of things that are talked about here uh, or repeated, breaking bread is, I would, I would argue breaking bread is emphasized. I would argue that praising God is emphasized. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so stuff that's being emphasized in this for sure are those those points. The devotion, the uh, being together, the unification, that they were in the temple's and in their houses doing the same things. And then if I were to put kind of the exclamation point on it and say, the last thing is that they were being added to. Again, this wasn't a stagnant event. This was just the first in the line. Hey, what about things that are repeated? Is there anything in this that happens over and over again. Okay, we have breaking bread. We have devotion again. We have awe and belief that are repeated several times. As far as uh, things that are repeated, in this section we don't have any quotations from the Old Testament, but again, looking at context, we just had a whole bunch of quotations from the Old Testament by Peter in his sermon. So again, all of that stuff I would, I would absolutely look into. What, what was it about what Peter said that affected these people so deeply? <clears throat> Not only did they tell him that they killed Jesus, he basically laid out for him uh, why things were changing. And he laid out for them why killing Jesus was significant. Yeah, absolutely. So that's a good good transition into things that are related. So... uh, there is a huge, huge, huge cause and effect here. We have all of these causes leading over to this effect. So we have, uh, we have Pentecost, right? The giving of the Holy Spirit that happened earlier. Then we have 
the wonders, in this case the speaking of multiple tongues that were happening as the disciples all came out. And then we have Peter's sermon. And the effect of Peter's sermon was that all these initial 3,000 people were saved. And then the lasting effect was all of these changes that we see in, in 42 through the end. So if I was tracking a cause and effect, uh, I would want to look through or I'd want to work through all of those events that happen and then all of the changes that I'm seeing now. <clears throat> so here's an interesting one, but it's going to take a little bit of creative thought. So <clears throat> uh, the first week we talked about reading imaginatively. So if we were to look for things that are alike or unlike and limit us to only these five verses, there's not a whole lot of alike and unlike just in these five verses. But if I were to draw from events previous, the other chapters in Acts, or my knowledge of the rest of the New Testament and the Old Testament, and I were to compare and contrast here, what is like or unalike about these believers? What are the things that they are doing? Are they the same as what they were doing before? Are they different? Are they the same as what the Israelites were supposed to be doing in the Old Testament? Are they the same as what the Israelites of the Old Testament did do? Is this a cataclysmic shift, or is this a minor hiccup? Yep, slavery, yep. Yeah, yeah. So they sold out to the cause, quite literally. They sold out to the cause in a way that the Israelites, from at least the records that we have, never did. Uh, again, this is a very small number, not an entire nation, but at least this small core group, uh, like, like you said, they, they were completely all in. <clears throat> yeah, so that is very different. The things that they are doing, though, were not all that different from what the or original mandate to the Israelites were. Uh, most of the Levitical and Mosaic laws were about taking care of each other and all the rules around how to deal with the people, right? So here we have the view of what that could have looked like. Sure. Sure. Uh, and, and just to build a little more context into that, though, David uh, says, I love your law, right? So there is, there is joy in it if it's done right, right? But you're, you are absolutely correct. There is, uh, especially if you look, again, just back a book or two into Jesus' relationship to the Pharisees, uh, there was definitely a 
uh, holding down. Religion was being used to help hold people down, yeah, rather than the joy that we see here. So again, that comparison and contract, things to look for. Uh, this is a, a bigger contextual thing, but absolutely, that's a good place to to run with it. Uh, I don't necessarily think that there's necessarily much irony in this, uh, but uh, definitely something to look for in other passages. And if you can find some irony in, in Acts 2.42, uh, just let me know. I'm, I'm happy to discuss it. <clears throat> Yeah, so, and again, this would be a fantastic historical thread that you could start to pull. Uh, yes, as far as our Bible goes, we, we kind of...